I told you today that I was going to do a message that's been burning on my heart for some time, and I felt like putting it right here at the end of the year, and as we stand at the threshold of the next year would be the perfect time, and it's a message entitled, It's All About the Door. It's all about the door. Now, before I go any further, I've got to give a shout out to a couple of friends uh, that aren't here, but I still want to shout out so they're aware. I want to shout out to Lorenzo, and I want to shout out to Carlos because they came and donated their time and, and assembled a door for me on the stage that is just a door, that just is, which I appreciate, but they made it work, and it took them a lot of hours and a lot of engineering and so forth, and so we're so proud of them. We appreciate so much. Can you give their love to these fellas that gave their time to make this happen? It's amazing how many doors we walked through. This morning when you came to church, there was a whole lot of doors, a whole lot of doors that you went through. Some of you, you got, most of you slept in the bedroom last night. If you didn't, you were in trouble. So you, anyway, you slept in the bedroom, and um, uh, you got up in this morning, and you probably went uh, through the bedroom door to get to the bathroom door, and you went to the bathroom door, and when you're done in the bathroom, uh, you probably went out into the, into the kitchen. I don't know if there's a doorway to get into the kitchen, but you went into the kitchen, and you probably left the house through the garage door, and then you went into your, got into the car door, and then you opened up the big garage door, and you pulled out of the driveway, and you stopped by the coffee shop, and you went to the coffee shop door, unless, of course, you thought you would rather go through the drive-thru, and, and then you came to the church, and you came in, you got out of the car door again, and you came into the front door, and then you may, probably made a stop really quick to the potty door, and then or the bathroom door, and, and then you came through the, the auditorium doors, and you, you went through a lot of doors just to get here this morning. What I really want to talk to you about this morning is the fact that as I read the Bible from the New Testament all, or the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament is a central theme to the entire Bible is that we pass through a whole lot of doors. We pass through a whole lot of doors. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to share with you six short stories, short door stories that come from the Word of God. If you've got your Bible, we're going to be looking a little bit later at John chapter 10, so you can go ahead and bookmark that right now. But I'm going to tell the story starting way back in Genesis. Door number one. Everybody say, it's all about the door. Come on. It, say it with some sass. Can you do that? It's all about the door. It's all about the door. You go back to the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis, and you've got Adam and Eve that are living together in this nirvana. It is perfect. Uh, the animals are getting along, there's no killing, there's no violence, there's no jealousy, there's no wrath, there's no rage, there's no anger, there's no disappointment, there's no frustration, there's all the things that we dislike about this life that's not there. It's in what we call paradise. And they were in such a good place that they were communing with God. The Bible says that they walked with God in the coolness of the night. Now, to be in the presence of God would kill a human being now, but, but then... In the presence of God was a daily thing. They got to meet with God and talk with God. Can you imagine the, how perfect, you can't imagine how perfect it really was. And so what they had in their, in their, um, in their time as they were in the garden, they had this, uh, they had this access, this door, door to God. And this door to God for them it was open. Uh, it was open access. Y'all know what a backstage pass is? Yes? 
Do you know there's a difference between, Jackson, there is a difference between a backstage pass and an all-access pass. I had no idea. And a backstage pass is basically the same thing as a front stage pass because you're, you're, you're hoping that the movie star or the, the singer, whoever it is, that is going to walk. You're standing behind a gate. It's behind a fence. You just happen to be backstage instead of front stage. And as they walk by, you're hoping to quick like get a selfie so it can look like you were really hanging with them. That's what a backstage pass is. You're still very restricted and you aren't able to communicate and talk with the star, but an all-access pass, baby, that's different. You go in the dressing room with an all-access pass. You, you, get it, you get to talk with them. I mean, there's only just a few people that get an all-access pass. Uh, it's, it's, it costs way too much, and there's a very limited number. Adam and Eve had an all-access pass to God. They got to talk with him and walk with him and, and, and uh, be with him, discover with him, name things with him. They got, to, they got to be a part of the process that God created. They, they, got to, they got to be, it was nirvana. It was absolutely perfect until, until something happened. And that thing that happened in the garden was there was temptation that came their way. That temptation that came their way came through the form of a serpent, which was really Satan, that approached them and tried to convince them, tried to tell them that there was another door to a better life. And, and so they chose, they chose to go the route of the other door. You see, the other door that was introduced to them, and just for illustration's sake, I'm going to use this door. This has nothing to do with the fact that this is Pastor Trinity's office, so just ignore that right now. We're just going to use it for an illustration. But this other door is the door of the way that you want to do things. It's the door that I'm calling the door of sin. And you see, Adam and Eve chose to bypass this door so that they could go through that door. In essence, what Adam and Eve did is they had all access to God, and they slammed the door on all access with God so that they could choose to go their own way. And their own way, your own way, my own way is the way of selfishness. It's the way of sin. And every single day in our lives, we have a choice to make. Are we gonna go our way or are we gonna go God's way? Which way are you going to go? The Bible says this way, choose you this day who you're going to serve. And if you're going to serve God, then you're going to go through the door to God. If you're going to serve the enemy, then you're going to go through the door to sin, the door to selfishness. Now you listen to me because it is no accident that God has you here today. Because I've been praying that God would give us just the right people on just the right day with just the right message, and it's all been orchestrated before time and space that you would be here to hear this today. So listen, you chose the door, and now you're having problems, and now you're having struggles, and now you're having difficulties. We all choose to go through a door that is more appealing to us from time to time in our lives. Most of us choose to go through the wrong door on a daily basis in at least one area. Are there any real people in the house with me today? Because that's, that's like me. And the Bible says that when Adam, Adam sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, that they forfeited their all-access relationship with God. And in essence, they, in essence, they slammed this door, but they didn't just slam the door. They slammed the door in God's face. You ever had the door slammed in your face before? Oh, I have. 
I've had a door slammed in my, more than one time a door slammed in my face. And when you have a door slammed in your face, you feel kind of totally rejected, don't you? When a door is slammed in your face, you either feel sad or you feel mad, right? And oftentimes the easiest one to deal with is feeling mad. Oh, you want to slam a door in my face? You want to slam the door in my face. God had some choices to make when Adam and Eve slammed the door in his face and they chose to go their own route. God could have said, okay, if that's the way it's gonna be, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a do-over. You're gone, like zap, you're off. There's no evidence that you ever existed, Adam and Eve, right? He could have done that. He could have started, he could have destroyed everything and created a whole new world and said, I'm gonna have to get this right this time. Or God could have, he could have withdrawn all, fine, fine, fine. You don't want to have anything to do with me? Then I will withdraw from you altogether. But thank God he didn't do either one of those. Thank God he didn't do either one of those. Because the Bible tells us that, that at, after Adam and Eve sinned and they had realized what they had done, the Bible says they went into hiding um, uh, if you were here Christmas Eve, I kind of said this a little bit, but I'm gonna elaborate a little bit more this morning. They went into hiding. How many of y'all know you can't hide from God? Uh, it doesn't matter what door you're behind. You can't, hide. you can't hide from God behind your truck door, your office door, your bathroom door, your bedroom door. You can't hide from God anywhere. Everything is exposed to Almighty God. Can you say amen? He sees you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And for those of you that are trying to live a righteous, holy life, that's good news. And for the rest of us, that's not so good news. But it can be turned into good news very quickly. God knows you. And so hiding from him was doing them no good. So they were trying to hide from God. God calls out from them. <coughs> Why were they hiding? They were hiding because they were ashamed. Why were they ashamed? Because they knew they were naked. Before, they didn't realize they were naked. Right Now they realize they're naked and they're ashamed of their nakedness. And so God has to do something, chooses to do something to rescue them from their shame. And what he does, the Bible tells us, is, is he somehow, he kills an animal. There had been no such thing as death. There had been nothing that ever died. As far as we know, nothing had ever bled because it was paradise. So God chose, how do I know this? Because the Bible says that he gave them animal skins to cover their nakedness. You see, you read it as fig leaves, there's that, and animal skins. And so somehow, God got the animal skins. So they were right there where David and Kyler are at, and, and, and God, I don't know, God takes, I don't know, a, a, a lamb, and he grabs the lamb, and he pulls up its head, and he cuts its throat, and it begins to bleed out, and then he cuts off the side, and he peels off the skin, shakes it, and the blood and the guts go off, and he's like, here, cover up. Now, I don't know how much emotion there was in this, but I know if I was on the receiving end, and I saw death for the first time, I saw blood, I saw suffering for the first time, I know that if I saw the twitching and the agony of death that it took for them to cover their shamefulness, their sinfulness, that something inside of me would have began to grieve, something inside of me would have begun to mourn, something inside of me would have hit really hard, it would have been painful to watch. That's what Adam and Eve were going through. And when God skinned the animal, and God gave them animal skins, the, uh, the, um, 
The Hebrew word for the animal skins is Levi, where we get Levi Strauss from. That's not true at all. I'm just making that up. I'm just trying to have some fun with you this morning. And some of you, that's all you'll remember today, so don't remember that. That was wrong. So what was God doing? What was up with that? Why didn't he just, why did he do that? Because it was a foreshadowing of what was to happen later. You see, when Adam slammed the door shut to get to God, to get to relationship with Almighty God, God was communicating this. He was communicating that it is going to take the shedding of blood from an innocent third party for us to have our shamefulness uh, rectified, for us to have our shamefulness um, uh, nullified, for us to have the door of relationship and access to God to be opened up again. To me, it's kind of, it's kind of mind-blowing because Adam slammed the door to God and yet immediately God was working to develop a relationship with humanity from that point forward. See, God never left us. God never abandoned humanity. God was always working toward what we call redemption, always working toward trying to get us to the place that we're in all access relationship with God again. Can someone say amen? See, this door deal is not done yet. It's all about the door. Door story number two. Remember God's people later on in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, um, God's people were in slavery. They were in captivity. They were in bondage. They were in shackles. Um, they, were, they were slaves to Pharaoh, which is in Egypt. Pharaoh is like higher than a king. It's like, he's like a dictator. He's like in total, total control. And so Pharaoh has the Israelites, the Hebrew people, God's chosen people in slavery. And so God chooses the dude with the food, the man with the plan, the guy, guy of the hour, and he's like, Moses, I'm calling you, and I want you to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And so they go through this conversation, and it's a whole deal, but Moses finally goes to Pharaoh and says, God says to let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And it could have been Pharaoh said no once. It could have been Pharaoh said no three times, but instead Pharaoh said no 10 times. And so for each one of the 10 times that Pharaoh said no, God issued a consequence because when we say no to God, there's always a consequence when God asks us to do something. Can someone say amen? You can't just nullify and ignore and pretend that Almighty God doesn't exist. When he asks you to do something, you do it. And in this case, plagues were the consequence. Plagues not just on Pharaoh or his household, but plagues on the entire land of Egypt. And the plagues came in many, many forms. One of the forms of the plague was a, the Nile River turned to blood, freaked everybody out. Another plague was gnats just swarmed on the whole country of Egypt. That'd be horrible. Another one was people got boils all over them. Animals got boils all over them. Babies got boils. That's just nasty, painful. Another plague was locusts swarmed and they ate all the vegetation which would cause, uh, would, would tremendously impact the ecosystem and certainly would impact the crops, the food source. 
Another one was um, uh, frogs. This is the craziest one. Frogs invaded the land, and frogs were everywhere. I mean, frogs were um, in your house. Frogs were in your bathtub. Frogs were in your clothes. Frogs were in your shoes. Frogs were everywhere. They just were a, just a plague of frogs. <laughs> right? Another, I mean, there's all kinds of, there was the plague of darkness. But one of the plagues, one of the plagues that we discover was the 10th plague, the final plague. And it, it, maybe there could have been 11 or 12, but in this case, there was 10 plagues because this was the most difficult one. God said, okay, I am going to send an angel who he affectionately called the death angel, and the death angel is going to come, and the death angel is going to kill every firstborn in your family. Your firstborn child, your firstborn son, your firstborn daughter, your firstborn goat, your firstborn cow. If you're a firstborn and you're, the, you're married to a firstborn, then I guess both of the spouses die as well. The firstborns all across the land will die. Unless, unless you take the blood of an innocent lamb and that, blood, that, that lamb has to be sacrificed in the right way and the blood, can you see the kind of this re, rehashing of what God did earlier in Genesis? It's kind of woven through. And he says, take that blood, and I want you to take the blood, and I want you to take your paintbrush, which is really a hyssop branch. And I want you to take, why is it a hyssop branch? Well, if you were at church many months ago, I told you why it's a hyssop branch, because the very same branch that they lifted up to Jesus when he said, give me a drink, uh, was a hyssop branch when he was hanging on the cross. And so they took the paintbrush of death, which became the paintbrush of life everlasting at the cross. Oh, come on, I could preach that one all day long, but we're gonna stop. So they, 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 they took the hyssop branch or the paintbrush and they took the paint and they, and they were supposed to apply the blood to the doorposts to the doorposts of, of their house. And if they applied the blood of the innocent lamb to the doorposts of their house, the Bible says that the death angel would then pass over their house and he would not kill the firstborn. They had to apply the blood of the lamb to the doorposts of their house, the entry point of their home, and it was a foreshadowing of what was to come. You have to apply the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ, to the entry point of your home, your house, right here, the tent, right? This thing that we call our body, and if we don't apply the blood of the lamb to everything we do say, think, feel, or imagine, then we will not be set free, and death will surely consume us. So they applied it. I'm telling you guys, it's all about the door. Door story number three. If you remember the tabernacle, can you say yes? If you remember the tabernacle, but you don't want me to ask you any questions about it, would you say yes? All right, I'm good. So the tabernacle was the place that you met, you, you met God. The presence of God was found in the tabernacle, in the tent of meeting. Uh, inside the tabernacle, there was really two rooms, right? There was the holy place and there was the holy of holies. So they were separated. People could go here, but people could not go here, right? Um, people could only go here and they could never go here. And between the, uh, ho uh, the holy place and the holy of holies um, was this curtain. Not a curtain like we've got here, right? You just like walk through. But we're talking about a curtain that was about nine, maybe 10 inches thick. Then it took a team of horses to lift it. 
when they erected it. That it took a structure, structural engineering. I don't know if they had that back then. I'm sure they didn't have a, like an Ivy League school to go to back then to study structural engineering, but somebody had their ducks in a row because they understood how to do it. Oh, it was God who gave them the way to build this, all recorded in the Bible. And so somehow that, 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 that curtain, that veil was lifted up. Now, when you think of veil, you think of a wedding veil. We're not talking about something you can see through. We're talking about something that was impenetrable. It couldn't, it couldn't be torn. And that curtain was hung between where the people could go and where the people couldn't go. And once a year, according to Old Testament rules, once a year, the high priest, the highest ranking religious leader in the land, would enter into the Holy of Holies and make atonement for the people's sins. There's a church word for you. Uh, everybody looks, when, I, when pastor, when I was younger and, and uh, learning about Jesus, the pastor would say words like atonement. I just look at him and nod, oh yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. Atonement simply means uh, make a way for them to be forgiven of their sins so they could be released from the guilt and shame of their sins. How many of you really appreciate that God releases you from the guilt and the shame of your sins? That's what it's about. So once a year, the high priest would go into that, but you, you better have a clean heart. Now, I don't know you. I know you, but I don't know you. You see, I don't know really what's in your heart. I might look at you and go, that's a holy man of God. That's a holy woman of God. But I don't know what you're thinking in your quiet moments. I don't know what kind of rage you're dealing with. I don't know what kind of anger is inside you. I don't know what kind of jealousy. I don't know what, I don't know what's inside. I don't know what, I don't know. I'm not blaming you. I'm not, I'm just saying we're all human, right? And we all got something. I don't want the job of being the high priest. Can someone say amen? Because the high priest would have to go once a year in to make atonement. And here's how it would work. He would have to get a bell and they'd tie it around his ankle and they'd fix to that a rope, a thick, sturdy rope and tie it around his ankle. And then he'd be like, boys, I'm going in. Right? And then he'd make his way into the Holy of Holies. And every time he'd walk, you'd hear the bell ringing, right? Which is good news. But if the bell stopped a ringing, that means that there was something in his heart that he had not disclosed to anybody, including God, because he done did drop dead in the Holy of Holies. So how would they get him out? Well, they couldn't go after him because they also had sin in their hearts because he was going in there to get them forgiven of their sins. So they grab onto that rope and all together they'd heave and heave and they'd pull his dead carcass out there and throw him in the grave with all the other high priests, right? And he'd be like, who's next? Any applicants for high priest today? And the high priest would make the, it, that's just, that's how it worked. But the only way that you could get through was to be able to go through the door of the veil, to go through the door of the curtain. And you could not see, what was on this side was the same thing that's on this side, was, was access to God. You could have access to God. But, but God was saying, there's something now that's separating us. And that thing that's separating us, oh yeah, it's, it's, it's that door over there. The door of sin is separating us. And so there needs to be somebody that is without sin, that's totally forgiven of their sin, that's gone through the ceremonial washing and the ceremonial cleansing, that's gone through all of the, the, uh, the, the fasting that had to be done. And that person then can come in and make a sacrifice so that the rest of y'all can be forgiven of your sins. By the way, there's still churches that practice this type of thing today. God didn't set it up this way. See, you're supposed to have access to God yourself. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, 
the Bible tells us that that veil was torn in two. It was torn in two. Now, nobody could tear. Team of horses couldn't tear that thing. But somehow, supernaturally, that veil was torn in two. And just so that we could be clear, it wasn't torn from bottom to top, as if somebody somehow could get a hold of it and they could do it. It was torn from the top all the way to the bottom, as if heaven itself was grabbing onto the thing and saying, no more is there going to be lack of access to me. See, that door was closed some 1,600 years earlier. But God is now saying, this door, you've got access again. Because of Jesus. See, it's all about, it's all about the door. Can someone say amen? It's all about the can you can you imagine? Can you imagine being that high priest having to go in there? It's all about the door. God did something then, door story number four. God did something. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to the earth. Um, and the holiday we celebrate is Christmas. That's when we celebrate Jesus being born, coming into this world. And I'm so glad we did that. By the way, I gotta take a pause for a second. Some of you how many of you were at a Christmas Eve gathering? Was anybody at a Christmas Eve gathering? Some of y'all grabbed those cake mix boxes. We gave all the kids cake mix boxes, and we sent them home cake mix boxes. We said, make a birthday cake for Jesus. We gave away 46 cake mix boxes that night, and I, can't, I didn't even ask you to do this, but some people sent me text pictures and emailed me pictures and hashtagged us and put it on their Facebooks, and I, if you did that and you've got a picture, send it to me. Just, just attach it to the New Life Facebook page, but we want to see what what birthday cake you made for Jesus this year. And by the way, if you still have a cake mix and you're, or maybe you weren't here, but you want to be a part of this, it's not too late. Make a birthday cake for Jesus and have a great time talking to your kids about this is why we do this. This is why we celebrate Christmas time. It's because it's all about Jesus. Can someone say amen? So Jesus came to the world in the form of a babe born in a manger in a stable because there was no room for him in the inn. You know the story. But something happened. God decided that he was going to send an angelic birth announcement, sort of a gender reveal party, and he decided he was going to announce it to some of the strangest people in the world. And for years, years, literally, I have taught and preached as I'm trying to discover why God would do this. But God chose to send his birth announcement, his gender reveal party, popping of the blue balloon instead of the, the pink balloon uh, to a bunch of shepherds out in the fields that were watching their sheep by night. And when he did that, he invited those shepherds to come and see the baby Jesus. And so they pop the balloon, it's a boy, and so off they go and they go see Jesus. And Jesus is there, and I, the question that still plagues my mind, and it probably will until I die, because I would like to know the rest of the answer, although I think I've got some more insight this year, as to why God chose, why did he summon the shepherds first? Maybe he chose the shepherds because they were the lowest of them all, and we can identify with that. Sometimes we feel lower than dirt ourselves. At least I do. Maybe he chose shepherds because they were lonely. And some of us in here really understand what loneliness is about. Some on different levels, different reasons. But because they were lonely. Maybe he chose shepherds because they were outcasts. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm a, 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 grown, a full-grown man. Uh, but sometimes I feel like I'm living in a junior high world. Does anybody know what I'm talking about, right? And you feel like an outcast sometimes, like it's some sort of popularity contest. Maybe he chose shepherds because they were uneducated or because they were poor. And sometimes we feel very uneducated. Maybe we have letters behind our names, but we still feel stupid. Still feel like I'm not getting it. Or, or maybe we don't and we're intimidated by, by people that, I don't know, maybe we feel poor. The shepherds were poor. Maybe we feel poor in spirit, and maybe we feel poor like we, everybody else has got. I don't got, and we start, maybe he chose shepherds to identify with us on that level. 
Maybe he chose shepherds because of the intense, incredible funk that they had coming out of the pores of their skin because they stank, right? These guys were wretched in the way they smelled. And that's how we are sometimes because of what we've consumed and the sin doors that we've gone through. And we feel like we are too stinky and too filthy to ever be accepted or received by a loving Savior, a wonderful God. I don't know why God chose shepherds, but I think I have a different idea this year. And the other idea I think I have this year is because God knows, God knew what it was like to be a good shepherd. God knew what it was like to be a good shepherd. You see, in our modern day, we take care of our animals because we buy big properties, pastures, and we make sure we put appropriate fencing around the pastures, not only to keep our sheep in, but to keep the other animals out. Sometimes we electrify those fences. We certainly barbed wire those fences. And if we discover, like, like where we used to live, when mountain lion country, that there were mountain lions that could, that could hurdle the fences, then you got other protected devices to keep them away. What I'm saying is, back then, they didn't have that. They had no such thing as barbed wire back then. Uh, they would instead, they would just keep their sheep close to the shepherd. And they would have to go, because it was in a desertous type climate, a high desert type of a climate, um, they would have to go from, from one area to another area where there was ample vegetation for the sheep to eat. And so every night when the wolves would come out, they would have to make sure that they had appropriate shelter for the sheep. And so they would, they would back their, uh, they would find a place where there would be some sort of a, a back wall like a big boulder or some sort of a chalk limestone kind of a ridge um, or, uh, that, that was behind them, a mountain kind of an area behind them. And then they would get uh, rocks if they could, but they would cover those rocks with thorns and thicket, like, kind of like this. But they had to have a place for the sheep to be able to enter and the sheep to be able to leave. And so they would always have a doorway to be able to, all they'd have to do is call the sheep and the sheep would come in because they'd been working to build the corral and the sheep came in. Now the problem is there was never any door at the entry point of the corral. That's not what a shepherd did back then. So if we understand what God is talking about, then we can understand the big picture behind it. See, it was commonplace for a shepherd back in biblical days to build this on a nightly basis. And then once it was built, they would call their sheep to come in. And the sheep would come in, and they would go ahead and lay down inside the corral. And when every sheep was accounted for, and when every sheep made it in, that's when the shepherd in the doorway would go ahead and get down, and this is where he would sleep. The, sh the good shepherd would sleep in the doorway as the door, so that the sheep could sleep safe and secure and be satisfied. You're not getting these sheep. These sheep, you're going to have to go through me to get to these sheep is what a good shepherd would do. And so to me, at this Christmas season, it is no accident that God chose shepherds for the first birth announcement of the Savior of the world because God knew what good shepherds would do. And he knew that his son would refer to himself as the good shepherd. And the good shepherd would lay his life down for the sheep. And the good shepherd would become the door, not just block the doorway. If you're coming in, you're going through me. Now that's confidence. 
That's, that's power is what, is what that is. That to me explains a whole lot about Jesus. He wants us to be safe, to be secure, and to be satisfied. Can someone say amen? Will you help me preach the rest of this message this morning? Will you do that? Door story number five. Fast forward about 32 years. Jesus is in the middle of his 36-month ministry. He's 32 and a half years old, something like that. And Jesus is now um, at a place where he decides that he is, well, let's read about it. John chapter 10, verse number nine. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Now, Jesus is explaining at this point to his disciples and to the world that the purpose in him coming is that he is the door. I am the door. If you enter through me, you'll be safe, you'll be secure, you'll be satisfied, but you gotta enter through me. There is no, let me just tell you, there is no other door. How do I know that? Well, let's go on. John chapter 10, verse, let's read the next verse, verse number 10. The thief, that's Satan. That's the same serpent in the garden that was trying to get them to, to walk away from all access with God, to go through the sin door. The thief comes only. In other words, this is his mission. This isn't a highlight of his mission. This isn't chapter titles of his book. This is all he came to do. The thief came to steal and to kill and to destroy, but... I have come, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life, that you and me have life, and have it to the full. Look at verse number 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Can someone say amen? See, what Jesus is saying, that I, I'm going to give you abundant life. He's saying, I'm going to give you life on a whole nother level. I'm going to give you life, and you're going to be able to live that life to the full. But we have to go through the right door. Door story number six. Fast forward to the Garden of Gethsemane. This was the night before Jesus died. This is when Jesus was fixing to be betrayed. This is after Jesus had done the Lord's Supper, communion with his disciples, and they didn't quite understand what's going on. And then he said, I'm inviting you guys to a prayer meeting. We're going to go into the garden for a little while, and we're going to have an outdoor prayer meeting in the middle of the night. It's going to be really, really cool. I want you to stay with me. I want you to pray with me. And they fell asleep not once, but they fell asleep twice. So Jesus is by himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying to his Father, Almighty God, and he's saying, God, listen, I don't want to go through this because I know what I'm going to go through, the pain and the torture and the ridicule and the shame. I don't want to go through this. If it's possible, can you take this cup from me? Can you make it to where I don't have to go through of that door? I don't deserve to go through that door. I didn't sin. Jesus isn't saying this, but I'm summarizing. Because three times he asked the Father. Three times he said, can I please do what I want? And three times God said, no. You want to know the hardest answer is for people to receive? 
It's a no. God said, Paul asks, hey, would you, God, please, I'm serving you, Jesus, I'm serving you, I'm giving my life for you, I've changed everything, I've planted these churches, I'm serving you as best I can, can you just make it a little bit easier for me? Because this affliction, this, this pain, this thing that I'm struggling with, this, I don't know if it's a leg thing or an eye thing or depression thing, I don't know what it is, but it's something that he's got, would you take it away from me? He asked once, would you take it away? He asked twice, would you take it away from me? He asked three times, and all three times God said, yeah, no. My grace is sufficient for you. In other words, you're going to make it through this no. <laughs> Jesus said, if possible, would you take this cup for me? Because I don't want to go through that door. Um, I don't want to go. I don't want to. God said, no. You see, here's what I know is if there had been another door, God, the father probably would have said to his son, well, yeah, sure. No problem. Take the night off, Jesus, because, you know, well, it's. There's the door of Buddha. There's the door of Muhammad. There's the door of Krishna. There's the door of Scientology. There's the door of Islam. There's the door of Joseph Smith and the Mormon church. There's the door of, of I can be a good person. There's the door of I can do it myself. <laughs> there's, there's no other door. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. That was the story of Jesus Christ. That's the story of our Savior. Hallelujah. You know what I've discovered about life is life is really a series of doors. There are doors everywhere. Everywhere there's doors. We're closing doors or we're opening doors. Shoot, we live in such a lazy society that most doors you go into, the door just opens for you. <laughs> but there's really, it all comes down to this. There are three important doors in your life. There's two doors you have no control over whatsoever, and there's one door you do. The first door is the door of your birth. You had no control over that. You were born, and I thank God for that. Some of you weren't born into the best of circumstances. You weren't born to the best of parents. And we're not disrespecting them, but the truth is the truth. But you were born and you had no control over that. The second door is the door of your death. You don't know when you're going to die. There's probably, statistically likely, some folks that probably will pass on to glory this year from new life, young and old alike, because we don't know when we're going to die. And it seems like we spend our whole life trying to fight the very thing called death. You don't have any control over that door. The Bible says it's appointed for man once to die. So God is the only one who knows when. But there's a third door. And the third door is the door that you see on the stage. This door to God. You actually do have control over this one. Because the door has, uh, has been reopened. The door was opened by Jesus Christ. And you have the option to walk through that door right now. But here's the deal. Some people just won't make that decision. They won't make the decision to go through that door because they're going to put it off till next week. Some people won't make the decision to go through the door to God because they're going to put it off till next year. 
or when they feel better or when circumstances change or when they feel worthy. That's the one that Satan gets us with every time. I'm just not ready because I'm not worthy. I got to figure some things. Dude, if you could figure some things out, you wouldn't be in the mess you're in, right? God can help you get out of that mess. It's impossible without God. So don't put it off until... I was. Don't put it off till next time. I was, I was at Save Mart not too long ago before Christmas, you know, when they open up two aisles and there's nine aisles, they leave closed and we're going back for six miles in the store. You know what I'm talking about, right? And I've only got to get one quick thing. And I'm, I'm in there and I decided, well, I better be happy because I'm in Lathrop and I pastor here and uh, I'm, somebody at the church might see me human. I don't know. So I'm not going to be that guy. Can I just be real with you? So, so I'm standing in line and I decide, well, Lord, I'm going to try to learn something. And I was looking, Ashley, I was looking at the door. You know, Save Mart has the doors that open up and go, go you, know, they, you know, the lazy doors, the wonderful doors, especially when you got stuff in your hands. And what I was noticing is um, everybody who approached the door, the door opened for. I mean, there was no qualifications. There was no racial issue. There was no economic issue. Uh, there was nothing. I mean, you could smell good. You could smell bad. You could look good. You could look bad. You could have money. You could not have money. But I tell you, by the way, not one person put their hand up. Everybody just kept their hand down and they walked through the door. It took a whole lot of faith to be in Save Mart. And I said to myself, I want that much faith at New Life Church. Every single, that's what I want, right? Like we don't have to just trust God. But that's a whole nother story. Every time they approached the door, non-discriminatory. The doors would open for everybody. It didn't matter how many kids they had or didn't have. It didn't matter if they were married or weren't married. It didn't matter how they dressed. It didn't matter. The doors opened if they had the faith to keep walking. Not once did I see somebody, you know. <laughs> it's just total trust. They just walk through the door. Jesus says, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I am the door. Je Jesus says, listen, whoever, whoever enters through me, prostitutes, adulterers, liars, cheaters, slanders, gossips, rage-filled people, hurt people, lonely people, depressed people, tired people, weary people, frustrated people, you people, me people, all people, whoever, whoever, whosoever for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life I know you've gone through a series of doors this year maybe you've gone through a door or two about a financial door and you had some ups and you had some downs financial doors that's the way it happens maybe you went through some relationship doors this year and you had some good relationships and you had some not so good relationships and some sucked and some were happy. They were relationship doors and some you regret and some you're so glad that you, you, you met them. Maybe you went through some doors that were status doors and, and at one point you had some influence and then maybe you lost that influence and you had some respect and maybe you lost that respect and you went through these doors. Life is a series of doors and, and all of us have to go, I, I, let me tell you about doors. There is one door without a doubt that everybody, no matter who they are, wants to go through. And that is this door right here. Every human being was wired and designed and created by Almighty God to want to go through the door to get to Him. You were created that way. 
and so was I. Why are you waiting? Why are you delaying? Why are you putting off this door, the access to this door? Because, because that's the reason the good shepherd came some 2,000 years ago. That's the reason he showed up, is because the door is the access point to God. The problem with the previous door was the previous door could be shut. And so Jesus came and he came to say, uh, 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 uh. I want you all to know that no longer, never again can this door be closed because I am the door. Man, that is a good word. That should trend, somebody should preach that message. That's a good message. Jesus said, I am the door. And in other words, I have total control. Never again, because he paid the price. He gave us all. Never again will access be denied. He's not offering you a backstage pass. He's offering you an all access pass into the presence of the living God. God is giving this to you. This door was slammed shut by the first Adam. <laughs> but the second Adam, the second Adam, Jesus Christ came to make sure that this door would never close to us again. You want access to God? You want help? You want, you want counsel to get through your problem? See, God never promised you that every storm would cease, but he'll help you. Oh, he'll help you. He'll give you a spirit of power, a spirit of love, come on, Trinity, and a sound mind or self-control. That's what he'll do. But you gotta go through this door. There is no other way to God. I don't care what anybody says, they're all lying to you. There is, how do I know that? Because Troy said it, no. Because somebody wrote a book, no. But because this book says, there is no other way to God but through the door. And that door has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he is waiting for you, arms wide open. And he's saying, won't you come through me? Because when you enter this sheep pen called salvation, you will be safe you will be secure and you will be satisfied and ain't nobody gonna come take you away because God has got you, because God has got you. Come on, you can do better now. God has got you. Praise God, praise God, praise God. So let me just leave you in our last gathered together in 2018. Let me just, as we close this year out, let me leave you with this question. It's a really simple question. In 2000, at the end of this year, 2018, as we stand at the threshold of 2019, what are you gonna do with the door? What, what are you gonna do with the door? I, I don't know what you're gonna do, but I know it's all about the door. That's why I'm committing my life for the rest of my life to this door. <laughs> because I wanna see more people go through this door than ever before. Would you close your eyes and bow your head for just a second? It would be, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you the question. 
Aren't you ready just to go through that door? Aren't you ready to go through the door? Aren't you ready to say, I've been choosing the wrong door. God, in this area of my life, I've been choosing to do my own thing, to go my own way, to follow my own feelings, and to go by my own plan. And today, God, I decide that I'm going to intentionally and willfully choose to go through the door to you. I want to go through the door to God. I don't want to go my own way anymore. I'm tired of making excuses. I'm tired of thinking that I've got it all figured out when God, you already gave us the plan. And the plan to you is simple. I got to go through the door. And the door has a name and his name is Jesus Christ. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm asking you as serious as a heart attack, as if this was the last message I preach before I go to glory. I wanna ask you the question with all sincerity, have you chosen the right door? And aren't you ready to go through the door to God? Aren't you ready to give your life to Jesus Christ? You've been fighting it. You've been, you've been trying to tread water. And God is saying, just take my hand and let me rescue you right now. Let me bring you to a place that will sustain you, that will save you, that will make you secure. So I wonder if somebody's in here that can be real and honest with me today that would say, I am ready to give my life to God. I want access to God, and I know that access is through Jesus Christ, and I want God's best for my life. You see, God's gonna give you eternal life in heaven, but he's also gonna give you abundant life on earth if you choose to follow him today. And so again, with heads bowed and eyes closed, you be confident. You be strong. It is no accident that you're here today. We already said that God has moved mountains, that he has pulled down strongholds, that he has eliminated roadblocks so you could be here today to hear the message of the Lord that Jesus Christ loves you. And he is giving you an invitation to an all access pass with him. And he's saying, won't you choose to come through me today? Choose the right door. If you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ, I want you on the count of three to put your hand up to heaven and don't you put it back down again. Now I want everybody to keep their eyes closed just to honor and respect each other. But you make your calling and election sure. In other words, you tell God with no shame in your being that I need you more than the air that I breathe. I need you more than water in my, I need you God now more than anything. Are you ready? One, a two, and three. Lift your hand up to heaven and say, God, I need you. Oh God, I need you. Oh God, I need you. Oh God, I need you. Jesus, I need you. I need you now more than ever before. Oh, come into my life. Make it real, God. Make it real, God. Make it real, God. Make it real. Oh Jesus. Oh Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, if your hand is raised, I want you to, why don't you just, just be courageous today. If your hand is up, there's all kinds of people in your hands, but just go ahead and stand to your feet right now. And we're going to pray a closing prayer together. Come on now, don't be, don't be, don't be chicken out on me now. Stand up to your feet. This is between you and God, nobody else. And I want you to pray this prayer after me. And you mean it in your heart with every cell, every fiber of your being. Here we go. Dear God, please, come on, you say it like you, dear God. Please forgive me of all my sins. Come into my life and change me. Oh God, I need you now. I ask that you would help me, forgive me, cleanse me, renew me, strengthen me, and be with me. God, I confess 
that you are my Lord, that you are my Savior. And I ask you, Lord, to help me live a better life. I choose today to go through the door of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Now give the Lord a hand clap and a shout, saints of God, come on now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Everybody stand in the house if you would please. Would everybody stand please as we close this gathering together. The greatest decision a human being can make is to choose to go through this door. And there are all kinds of times in my life that I have thought to myself, well, I got this. And my wife has told me, she's sick today, God bless her. She's, she's told me, Troy, whenever you start the sentence with, I got this, you don't got this. Um, because God has this. And he is the leader and the sustainer and the provider of our family. And so if I try to go through this door, there are times I do. I, I got this thing figured out. I'm going to take a shortcut over here. I, God, you know my heart, but it's still sin. I have to make a choice to willfully and, tr and truthfully follow Jesus Christ every day of my life. And so do you. How do you do that? Well, it doesn't hurt to come to church. Come on now. I said it doesn't hurt to come to church. doesn't hurt to be faithful. doesn't hurt to fortify some good godly relationships. I mean, you don't have to be the missionary to the world if you can't save your family. So maybe you ought to be in church, be faithful to church, right? Get some friends going, take some after lunch after church, have, start developing some friend, friendships in church, get involved in church. It doesn't hurt to read your Bible. It doesn't hurt to, doesn't hurt, you should read your Bible. You don't trust anybody else. You read your Bible and see what the Spirit of God reveals to you as you read your Bible. Start in the book of Mark. Why? Because we're gonna preach on it next week. I'd rather you all go ahead and read everything before I preach it. Some preachers have told me, I don't tell my people what I'm preaching on before I do because they might read it and they might know more than me. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? I'd love for you to know more than me, right? That way it's just confirmation to your spirit. That's, how, that's what it should be. Read your Bible and then you need to pray. How do I do that? You just do it. It's like somebody said, fix your car. I don't know how to fix your car. How'd you learn to fix your car? I don't know. I just did it. Shut up. <laughs> and maybe you're not handy like that, but everybody's got it within them to talk. Talk to God. Just talk to God. Talk to him. See, I don't know what a good father's like. I didn't have a good father. You do now. You do now. And he wants to talk to you because he loves you. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. So I'm looking forward to seeing you all next week, next Sunday as we kick off this new series. And it's not about a series. or It's about the word of God. Helping us, seeping into our being so that we can become transformed by the renewing of our mind. Can someone say amen? amen. Praise God. So let me bless you on this last Sunday of the year. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest and may he give you peace. God bless you, New Life Church, and from my family to yours, have a safe and happy new year. Amen. You are dismissed. Praise God, praise God, and praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah.